which is a, a computer sign. And I just thought it was kind of good. It, it said, um, on top of it said, why do I need God? And then it has this picture underneath it of a guy sitting down, hair all frazzled, sitting at a chessboard, and he goes, and, the, and it goes, life is like a game of chess. And I don't know how to play chess. We need God because there are things that happen in life that we just don't know what to do with. There are things in life that happen to us that go beyond our experience, go beyond any conversations we've had, that go beyond what we would expect. If we could handle it all, we wouldn't need Jesus. I mean, the Bible has is, is got a number of examples of people who thought they didn't need Jesus because things happened or they didn't need God because, you know what, they were successful once, so now I've got it, God, I've got it figured out. And they did things, and it just fell flat. Don't think you and I are immune to that. Why do I need God? Because life is like a game of chess. And I don't know how to play chess. I have a hard enough time with checkers. This morning I'd like to continue in our series in Ephesians. But I want us to understand as a precursor that you and I, we need God. He's not someone we just stick in our back pocket and pull out. He is someone that I actually thrive and desire and need because I have found I cannot do things in life without him. After Winona's passing, <laughs> I needed his help to figure out what to eat for dinner. I'm serious. You say, I don't need God. I needed him to help me figure out a menu list. He gave me three children that live at home who help me every week. And they say, no, Dad, we're not having that. You don't think you need God? I, I needed God. Sometimes we need God so desperately, we need him to help us find a parking spot. And if you don't think so, why do we always say, God, help me find a parking spot? And then when we get one so close to the front, we go, yes! We need him. Let's keep it simple. I need you. I wrote down this song. I need you. Oh, I need you. 
Every hour, I need you. I know my pastor used to sing that every Sunday. He'd get up to preach, and he'd just stand up and go, Oh, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. At first, I didn't realize how profound that statement is. Imagine what life would look like if at the beginning of the exam, the beginning of the day, we'd say, I need you. Can you imagine what that could look like? When I talk about I need you, what I want to tell you is God has actually given you and has for you everything you need in order to live life. He has given you. In Ephesians 1 Verse 19, I'd like to read that verse to you, and I'm going to read it out of the Amplified Version. It will take me a couple minutes. Okay, a couple of you got that joke. Paul is praying for them that their eyes would be open, that they'd see what the glorious inheritance, so they'd understand the hope. And he goes in verse 19, and so that you can know and understand what is the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his power in and for us who believe. His power is in us, and his power is for us. And then he goes, as demonstrated in the working of his mighty strength. In the... In, in the Many other versions, it says, according to the working of his strength, of his might. In other words, he says, what, what I'm saying is, if you want to understand some of these things, you understand them through realizing it's according or in relationship to what Christ has already done and what is within us and what's for us. Have you ever done something and it depended completely on you? The immensity of the pressure, I have to get this done so that others can enjoy this. And, and, uh, and in the same measure, Jesus has provided and given us in order so that we can enjoy. I'm so thankful for God. I'm so thankful for God. He wants to be involved in your life. 
You might say, I know that. As I, sometimes I write these notes down and I think, I think everybody already knows this. But I found I need a constant reminder. I found I need, a, I need to be constantly reminded that he wants to be involved in my life. He desires to be involved in my life. In Genesis 3, right after creation, Adam and Eve had this thing where they would walk with God in the cool of the day. And they sinned. And it says that God came, listen to this, God came to spend time with them. What an amazing picture. He didn't say, come here to spend time with me. It says that God came and they heard the sound of God in the garden. And he goes, where are you? What an incredible picture of God. After they sinned, get a load of this. After they messed up, after they did exactly what he told them not to do, and he says, you can eat of anything, but you can't eat of this tree. For in the day that you do, you'll die. He gave them, like, he didn't give them 75 instructions. He said, just don't eat of this tree. And what did they do? They missed the mark. And how does he respond? He comes to them. <laughs> Get a load of this. He comes to them. Not only does he come to them, but they're naked and ashamed, and he clothes them. God is so good that he comes to us. Even in the middle of our mess. I heard a couple amens. That was a good spot for an amen. He is so good that he comes to us in the middle of our mess. There you go. Points for amens. His power is for you. It's not against you. I, I have eight brothers. And Pastor Daniel being one of my brothers, he can attest to this, but we would play, and, and when we'd play, if one of us lost, especially if it was an older one, lost to a younger brother, all of a sudden the rules changed. You know? I played one of my brothers, and if I beat him in table tennis, he'd say, okay, it's no longer a best of three, now it's a best of five. And if I beat him again, now it's a best of seven. And, and, and it's like the rules keep changing. 
But you know, with God, he doesn't change the rules. And his power is for you. He doesn't go, oh, no, forget it. No, he, he is committed to, I, I, I'm so amazed by this because we are not perfect people. We are not perfect people. And yet, he is committed to it. He took 12 teenagers. Not the best way to build an enterprise. He took 12 teenagers, raw, ambitious, jealous, couldn't keep their mouth shut, asked for fire to eat up all these, to burn up all these people. He took 12 and he says, I will make you fishers of men. And he took them in their state that they were. And he worked with them. And it gets to the point, in fact, where he dies on the cross, he comes back again, and they're saying, are you going to now restore? I mean, they still didn't quite understand it all, and they said to him, are you now going to restore the kingdom? And he goes, no, but I'll give you power. Just wait. Follow my instruction, and I'm going to have power come on you, and you'll be my witnesses. He didn't give up on them. He didn't change the rules. I'm so thankful. He doesn't change the rules. He doesn't move the goalpost. He doesn't say this. No, he just says, I'm here. I'm here for you when you're feeling good. I'm here for you when you're feeling rough. (laughs) His power for you and I takes into account the imperfections that we have. It boggles my mind. Because if I'd be honest with you, I wouldn't do it that way. Come on. You want me to trust somebody who's raw? Do you realize what kind of mess I'm going to have to clean up afterwards? And he goes, no. I'm there for them. His power is for us. In Colossians 1, I've got a number of verses. In Colossians 1, verse 11, a very similar um, introduction as we find in Ephesians. And Paul is praying for them. And I'd love to turn there because there's about five or six verses, if you read Colossians chapter 1, you'd almost think you were reading Ephesians chapter 1. And Paul is writing, and we get down to about verse 9. He says, and for this reason also, which is actually what he wrote in Ephesians, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask, and listen to this, that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Parallel with Ephesians. We talked about hope, God's hope. We talked about his inheritance and we talked about his power. Listen to these things. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord 
to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyfully, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He says here, the power that God has for us, strengthened with all power. The power that God has for you and for me is a power that is inside, but it's also a power that's around and on us. God gives you a power within. There is a power there. He's placed within us his power. And then he says, and I also place on you my power. Colossians 1 verse 29, if you continue there, he says, for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. I found that interesting use of words. Striving to work with his power. Striving according to his power, which works mightily within me. In Ephesians 6, talks about the armor of God. We're having a little bit of a Sunday school lesson this morning. When I was in Sunday school, we'd have these verses, and, and the teacher would say, okay, pick out something that's similar in all three verses, and you'd read all three verses, and what was the verse talk about? It was actually a really good way of learning how to study or understand the Bible in a very simple, quick way. So this morning for Sunday school, I'm asking you now to turn to Ephesians chapter 6, and I'd like to read this and see if you can pick up something about the power of God. Anybody game? You're not here to hear my voice. You're here to get to know him. I am a vessel and I am speaking his words. But he's the boss. In Ephesians 6.10 it says, Finally be strong in the Lord. And in some versions it says, And in the power of his might or in the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord. And the power of his might. And then he says, put on the full armor of God. God has given us what we need to live a victorious life. God has given what we need to live a victorious life. God has given what you need to live a victorious life. God has given what you need to play chess when you don't know how to play chess. God has given what you need to move that peace when you're not sure what to do. His power is within you and he can give you what you need to make that move. I didn't think I'd get too excited, but I guess I did. Ephesians 3, 
couple pages back. In verse 14, it's almost a similar verses to verses uh, chapter 1. He says in verse 14, for this reason. And then he goes and he continues on and he gets down to verse 16. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. The power of God is not just something out there. The power of God is something that wants to touch your innermost being. The power of God is not an ethereal thing. The power of God is something that he says, I want you to be strengthened with his power in the inner man. In Philippians 4, verse 13, a verse that I think gets misused and misquoted, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you look at the context, Paul's talking about dealing with the hardships of life and some of the things in life that he had to deal with, whether it was excess or whether it was not enough. And he says, in all these things, I can do all these, do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This prayer that Paul prays for the believers in Ephesians 1, he says it's according to According to, it is in relationship or it is prescribed by the power of God. That's what he says. The hope of his calling, the glorious riches of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power. It's all because of or prescribed by, we can expect it because of his power. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is talking about the thorn in the flesh in verse twelve, uh, chapter 12. And he, and he goes, I had this thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, I think is, I, I think is what he, he said. And I prayed to God three times to take it away. And he says, and I didn't, it didn't get taken away, but God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is. One of the definitions of grace that I learned in Sunday school was a, a, is it called an acronym when you use the letters of each? Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's not just getting away with things. (laughs) It's actually walking in the power to overcome those things. I'm all about grace, but it's not a sloppy thing. It's a powerful thing. And instead of asking for grace afterwards, I'm learning to ask for grace before words. And again, my grammar may not be good, but hopefully my theology is better. God's power works within and without. 
within and without. It works inside and it works outside. In Acts 1, he says, you'll receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. In Romans 8, verse 11, it says, if the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. What I want us to understand this morning is, and I'll say it for myself, I desperately need God. I desperately need God to get past the mundane things of life, but also to play the grandmaster of chess and win. Why do I need God? Because life is like a game of chess, and I don't know how to play chess. Don't get upset when you get pushed into things beyond you. Welcome them because that's where God's power can be released. Don't be content to always live within your capabilities. Now, there's wisdom to be applied, but don't be content just to settle for that. But instead, say, God, would you help me? What makes you and I different? The people who don't know God? It's God. That's why you overcome things. Not because you've got great willpower. It's because you've got God. Why can you face those things? It's not because you've got the smartest chess player in the world. No, it's because you've got God. I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. I'd like to read a passage in closing over you. Because in today's times, I think God is doing something amazing. He is reviving. And I believe this year, God will revive us. I know he's reviving me. I've seen and I've felt his presence and his breath refreshing, renewing, reinvigorating. And what I found interesting was he didn't leave me beat up and sad and depressed, but he took me and he says, no, I'm going to breathe life into him and I've got power for him and I'm for you, David. And I'm asking God for souls, but I'm also asking for every soul here that we would have a reviving of his breath a reviving of his power, a reviving of his conviction and his confidence that I can do these things because he's for me, he's not against me. The greatest thing we can do is to represent God and give people an experience, a God experience when we connect with them. That's the greatest thing we can do. 
The greatest thing, one of the core values that I have on a Sunday morning is for every member of the body that comes in is that we would experience God. That's one of my core values. This morning, it was beautiful. So I'd like to read you this passage, and it's out of the Message Bible. Psalm 126. It seemed like a dream too good to be true. When God returned Zion's exiles, we laughed, we sang, we couldn't believe our good fortune. We were the talk of the nations. God was wonderful to them. God was wonderful to us. We are one happy people. And now, God, do it again. Bring rains to our drought-stricken lives so that those who planted their crops in despair will shout yes at the harvest. So those who went off with heavy hearts will come home laughing with armloads of blessing. God, do it again. He's not finished with us. His power, his commitment to us is even when we mess up, even when we're not feeling strong, even when we don't have the energy, even when we make mistakes, he comes and he says, I'm here, I'm committed to you, I have my power for you. It's in you, it's on you, and he wants to breathe in us and cause us to have life and strength and to reinvigorate our lives. He's for me. He's not against me. God, do it again. Look at somebody and say, God, do it again. God, do it again. Why? Because life is like a game of chess and I don't know how to play chess. It's okay to say that. Would you stand? I'd like to pray the prayer blessing over you. I'd encourage you to open yourself up physically to receive body language, to literally open yourself up in a posture to receive, to accept. Because these are not just hollow words. These are words that God commanded and instructed to be spoken. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Let God play chess this week. Amen. God bless you.